Hold on to your butt. I'm, of course, surprised that a story had such an immediate and profound effect upon radio listeners. Hooey pleases the boobs a great deal more than sense. Whoa, is us! We're in a lot of trouble! In politics, man must learn to rise above principle. What the hell are we doing here? We are behaving the way a superpower ought to behave. Well, our behavior has produced some crappy results. What we're witnessing now is the failure of the state. It is a death struggle for our republic. Giving voice to liberty in our time. Jimmy Clark. I know it is fun to wrestle. A nice pile drive to the face. Or a punch to the face. But you cannot do it. Because it is in the Bible not to wrestle your neighbor. Well, I didn't read that passage, Nacho. I didn't read that passage at all. And neither did Tony Khan or Cody Rhodes or MJF or Chris Jericho. Congratulations, Jericho, the new AEW champion, the first all-elite wrestling champion, and a presidential candidate of all people. Gave a shout-out to Jericho. Thank you, Andrew Yang. The Yang gang going strong. But I'm feeling strong tonight. I'm feeling powerful. I'm feeling good-looking. I'm feeling all these things, and I have two great people here to join me in this endeavor of being good-looking. We have Emily Hayes. It's me. And her husband. Hi. Hi. How you doing, Eric? I'm good. Good to hear. Good to hear. Can I interrupt you? Because that's <clears throat> what I do. Yeah, sure. This is you, right? Yeah. Yeah. It, I heard this a couple of, I guess a couple Can of Can I interrupt ago. you? Oh, my God. Sure. Because I don't, I never get to interrupt. Go ahead. I love this. Really? Yes. I am talking about this right now. Spitstream. By spitstream, she means that she spit. spit everywhere. Yeah. I'm trying to say something about this. I, I wanted to say something, too. He wanted to say it first. No, keep, keep it going. Keep the love anyway, coming. as I was trying to set the scene for the mm-hmm. first time I heard this. I've actually updated it. I haven't put the new update This is. Yet. I think I texted you about it because this and something... I was texting you about this bed and something else. This one reminds me of Paul Simon. And really? Late in the evening. Oh, cool. No, it's just a... It's a chord progression I've had in my head for 10 years now. Yeah, and I'm it's like, just that, it's let's that, lay little, it down. that little bouncy bit. It's I, I can feel it now. Late in the evening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel, I feel the Paul Simon. See, yeah. I don't know that song at all. So what? It wasn't, Joey? I know. It wasn't really an influence on this. Joey, wait till you hear it and you'll be like, whoa dang, Spitstream. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I've updated it too. I've added all sorts of different things to it. To make it sound so, beefier. I'm and, so glad you're getting back into music. Yeah, I'm enjoying that. It's part of why I feel happy. Good. Like, it's one of the few things that make me feel happy. I've learned good, this. Good. Because... Honestly, when you wrestle with the news, more so when you wrestle with your neighbor, it is so difficult to keep peace of mind. Stay at least positive. It's not like you have to be euphoric every minute of every day, let alone every day or week. But when you're constantly taking in information from the news, this has become my new big theme. It's not just like the movies you watch, the video games you play, the books you read. It's whatever information you consume. And just like some folks go on diets when it comes to their nutrition, I think people need to be more careful about the information they are constantly consuming and passing on. Like, how does fake stuff get it? Like, truly fake news. Not just news that I don't like, okay? 
Like, my crowd size was the biggest crowd size ever for crowds that Donald Trump has at his inauguration. That's a fact. That was the biggest Donald Trump inauguration crowd ever. <laughs> if that's true. Yeah. Like, the Joey Clark Radio Hour is the number one show from 6 to 7 in Montgomery, Alabama, on the radio, on News Talk. Number one show. <laughs> like, I love, by the way, how stations do that. We're number one in this time slot with this particular demo. Yeah, good for you guys. Like, okay. <laughs> but it, it's just fake stuff. Fake news, I think, is actually passed on. We're social learners. Just reading about this today. Like, why is it that people believe certain things? Like, there's an article in Scientific American. I'm not going to bore people by reading it straight up. Because I actually have people here to talk to. But the idea starts with it's this bug that existed in like the 1800s. And scientists had known about the bug for a while. It'll take out a mater. It will take out a tomato real quick. But all these stories started being passed around in the press. This is just newspapers at the time. That it was killing people. And the scientists at the time were like, no, it's not. This is just complete hokum. Hooey. Bullcrap. But they kept running with it, and because my local newspaper said that this bug, it eats not only tomatoes, it eats people. Like, and that just gets passed around and passed around and passed around. And so if it could happen back then, like 100 years, if not 150 years ago, it's happening at a faster pace today. Because you don't need just the word of mouth over the dinner table. You have social media to spread mm-hmm. all sorts of Things. I saw that this afternoon, mm-hmm. and a friend of mine posted something that was was fabricated, right. and I wrestled with how to tell said friend about that, and I just didn't. And I because told I said friend, and he said he didn't care. Oh, okay. Because, let's be honest, sometimes <laughs> satire gets at the, the essence of the truth when it's not literally true. I you understand know what I mean. that. But along those lines of what you're talking about, when I was a kid at slumber parties, we, we played the game Telephone. Hmm. You know, where one person says, whispers one thing into someone else's ear, and they whisper it to the next person, and it goes around the room, and you, you know, the phrase, yeah. the phrase is never the same by the time it's... I remember it's that game. Yeah, it's never yeah. that way. Well, mm-hmm. part of that's because you have to whisper it really quickly. Yeah, then you have to keep And it. some people don't like mouth noises right up in the air. <laughs> some people do, you never know. It depends on the person. But yeah, it, it just it becomes, I don't know. Like this fact I have in front of me, this story. I don't know if it's true or not. I'm just a talk radio host. I'm trying to entertain and inform. But there's a new thing scientists, again, etymologists or whatever they are, the people that study bugs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. E- etymologists. Yeah. I got something right. Yep. Uh... The people that study bugs have discovered something new about dragonflies. But I want to ask this. Is it already... Was it January when y'all got married? Yeah, Yeah, January 26th. It seems like so much life since then. It's only been a few months, not even... Over half a year, just a bit. Yeah. I also tried to say that it was our sixth anniversary when it was really our fifth, but that's because I can't math. (laughs) I have the problem I was corrected. But it's just... (laughs) In in y'all's, you know, now eight months of marriage going on nine... No, seven going on eight. Yep, seven going yeah. on eight. See? I can't math See? either. We just anyway, talked. We just talked. It's the end of the month. Yeah. We got married at the end of end the month. End of the month. Okay. So Anyway. Happy so, have you ever, as the lady in this equation, because there's nobody, I, I don't want to offend anything or anybody by misgendering you. You're still identifying as a woman, right? Absolutely. And you're still identifying as a man. I guess. 
Fair enough. It's okay to question. You let me know if that changes. <laughs> yeah, you could wake up a lesbian one morning. <laughs> <laughs> but have you ever, to get out of something, pretended to be asleep? No. 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 Have you ever done that? No. I have, but it was when I was a kid. Wait, are you being? Are you specifically with our relationship? Not necessarily with y'all's relationship, but just like I'm going to pretend to be asleep so I don't have to get up and do something. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. like as a kid, maybe I was asleep, right? So I wouldn't have to help with the dishes. Well, and it was amazing when, like, on a school day, normal school day, it was so tough to get out of bed. But on like a Saturday morning, my dad's like, "You want to go get donuts?" I'm like, right up, I'm awake. I'm awake. Uh, never. Mm-hmm. No, I I'm, got. Th- never. No. Okay. Seven a.m. in the morning on a Saturday, I got the knock, knock, knock on my bedroom door. That was like, "Come on, Lou! If you get all your chores done, you can enjoy the rest of the weekend." That was from my dad. <clears throat> so I had to go out and pick up pine cones and oh, happy days. All, all kinds of stuff. But, but if I got everything done, I could enjoy the weekend. But is that why I'm the only one that does the yard now? I do stuff inside the house. <laughs> <laughs> Inside chores, outside chores. I, yeah. I get it. I get it. But etymologists today, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's true or not. I'm just reading an article here. They've discovered something about, in particular, female dragonflies because biology is real, folks. I don't know if these dragonflies identify as men or women, but anyway, female dragonflies take this whole kind of sneaky show to a different level. They don't just pretend to be asleep. Female dragonflies will fake their own deaths to avoid aggressive males. Male <laughs> dragonflies. <laughs> they captured this phenomenon on video for the first time while observing moorland hawker dragonflies in the Swiss Alps. I don't feel like it's night, honey. I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. They pretended to be dead, and when researchers approached the dragonflies themselves to get a closer look, the female dragonflies flew Oh, just playing. Yeah, I just <laughs> found that to be adorable. And again, this is because I'm going on an information diet. I can't just constantly talk about negative crap. It seems to be, you know, it bleeds, it leads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I feel bad for the folks out in that, uh, what, that boat in ca- off of the coast the of California? Boat fire. Yeah. yeah. Terrible. People trapped inside. But I'm like, my heart breaks for them. But I don't know them. Like, I have enough to worry about with like people I know dying or yeah. just you know things yeah. I have to be concerned about but it, that's a big national news story because it's interesting look at the flames it weighs you down you know it does well and there's something about that where somebody and I'm not saying they're bad people but news directors have to go oh that's the story there's death there's fire there's like human tragedy we gotta sell this so we get eyeballs on our station. See, I feel like I'm lucky, though, in, in this instance, because I don't ever need a diet from the news, because I abstain from the news often. Well, that's smart of you. So. See, okay, and that's where I'm torn, because I've always wanted to know what's going on in the world. Sure, but there's a lot so it, going on. Yeah, so it's hard for me to to just not care about it or to not check in on it or to not want to know more about what happened with the dive boat fire or, you know, what's... Well, there's a laundry list of stuff that's wrong, but you know what I mean? I think what happens, though, is when you put on, like, the 
smarty pants hat. Like, I'm king of the world and I should be informed and engaged with the world. Mm -hmm. What tends to happen is you focus on the negative. Because it's easy to see what's happening with the negative. Negative usually happens immediately. When somebody dies, they die. They don't, like, slowly die over Mm -hmm. 10, 20 years or 100 years. But the good stuff that tends to happen in life, not all of it, but the good stuff tends to be happening without anybody really thinking about it. Sort of works out that way. It's been the story of the last 200 years. Like, I saw a fantastic article. It reminds me of conversations I've had with my progressive uh, feminist cousin, Jessica, in the sense that child labor, for instance, yesterday was Labor Day. Oh, the unions gave us that eight-hour day and the 40-hour work week, and they got rid of child labor. Because child labor laws were eventually passed, but it's actually the thing people aren't paying attention to, capitalism and trade-tested betterment, that allows people not to be child laborers, children not to work. For instance, most of human history, kids are working. You need your kids to work. That's why you have them, and half the reason you have them. And farm work is not, subsistence farming is not a great life for a kid. It got us by. It's what we had to do. It's in the Bible. You know, you're going to work the field. You're going to toil for your whole life. Uh, But as we start getting capitalism in this world and wealth starts to increase, some of those kids go to factories. And we start seeing the images of kids in factories. Terrible. But they're also making the choice to jump to the factory instead of work in the farm. And then before child labor laws ever come about, because we're very serious about the world, we want to make things better, before that even happens, child labor starts dropping at a fantastic rate in all sorts of old British factories and whatnot, because people are getting wealthier, so the kids don't have to work. And what's interesting is every like horrible thing, we've got we to ban that, we got to outlaw that. The only reason you're able to ban it at a certain point is because people have gotten so much richer that they can ban it. Mm-hmm. It's not a necessity to life. So a lot of the, the progress, true progress in life, getting wealthier, becoming more humane, more considerate, is based on this thing we, we don't really pay attention to day to day. It's this slow, eking progress that allows us to... Well, you, we like to think, oh, we'd be these wonderful, gentle creatures 200, 300 years ago. Uh-uh. No. You're a human being. You're going to react to survive, for the most part. Different times, different circumstances. You can't say what you would do back then because you're not yeah. in that situation. Yeah, but I'm just, in terms of statistics and probabilities, mm-hmm. you probably are going with the herd. You're probably doing what most people well, are yeah. doing. Whatever is the social norm. Right. And the social norms change, again, based on how wealthy we can get. And so I, I try to see, like, because it's a constant bombardment of, like, negative stuff. This went wrong with this company, and the government did this wrong, and this natural disaster is coming. And, and it makes sense. If you've got a bunch of people in the room and said, what's the best thing in life? They're, they're really going to disagree because it's somewhat subjective. What's the best thing in life? You tell them what's wrong with the world. Oh, a lot of them. They're, we're going to agree real quick. It's easy to focus on what's wrong, especially what's wrong with other people. Not me. I'm not looking in the mirror, but other people. <laughs> That's a society. It's something wrong with society. But I'm trying to get off this negativity train and focus on some of the positive, the long-term growth and positive outcomes that are slowly happening despite everybody's expectations, but also fun stories like this. It's heartbreaking when you lose your dog. really is. It's like, where'd Spot go? I saw him run, but he didn't come back. I said, fetch, and he just kept running. Like, I guess he didn't like the bone I threw. 
But anyway, this one family, the Cryer family, who was crying the night they lost their dog, he didn't come home. It's a black Labrador named Bo. Bo went missing. And this is according to Laura Cryer. Their family's property in Kansas is surrounded by open fields. So they assume that Bo went out just to explore around. But he didn't come home that night. And they started to get worried. Laura and Kyle did. The next day, they got a call, though, telling them that a dog corresponding to Bo's description was spotted running around a field about six miles away. So when Kyle, the husband, drives over to find Bo, the dog... Bo's not alone. They do find Bo, but Bo is alongside two new friends. Libby the dog, who's kind of a yellow lab looking mutt, and Ozzy, a goat. <laughs> so apparently, Libby, Bo, and Ozzy were just exploring the vast fields of rural Kansas all alone. And folks, I encourage you to look up the story because Bo looks like just a dopey dude. I'm having fun, black it sounds lab. Like homeward bound four. Exactly. And then this is uh, Lizzie and uh, the goat, oh, Ozzy. Oh, bless it. It's hilarious. I love stories like that. Like, you're so worried, you're so worried. No, oh, they came back and there's more friends. Apparently, these are the neighbor's animals. So, a little bit of crisis averted there. A little bit of crisis averted. Um, but this next story, because, again, I'm serious. You should be careful about you, what you put in your brain. But sometimes take, people take their own beliefs and they go a little too far. It's like, no, no, I can't have my belief challenged, no. I went to Catholic school, preschool to 12th grade here at Montgomery Catholic. I loved my education. I mean, there were some... I could criticize it, but largely, great education. Mm -hmm. And we read Harry Potter at Catholic. Mm -hmm. There's a story out of a Catholic school in Tennessee. I think what happened is they just renovated or built a new library, so they were renovating, kind of looking into what books they had on the shelves. And it had been years since they kind of reassessed what they had and whether they need to restock or get new editions of whatever. And so they decided Dan Rehill, a priest in particular, decided at St. Edward Catholic School in Nashville, he was worried about the heretical lessons that students could learn from Harry Potter. He wrote this in a Wednesday email to faculty members. At the advice of exorcists he consulted, they shared his concerns. So we purge Harry Potter from the school's library. Good news is there's this thing called the internet hmm. and also just Amazon. So any parent wants to introduce Harry Potter, you know, a God-fearing Catholic, got their children baptized, first communion when you're real young, that confirmation's coming up when they're about 14. Seems a little early to me, but having done the whole thing. I went through, conf I'm Lutheran. I went through confirmation which as well. Lutheran's very similar yeah. to Catholic. Um, it, but you can still show your kids Harry Potter, so it's not really the end of the world. Of course, it's a private school. They can do what they want. But the reasons given, because Catholics do believe in like using your reason to you know assess what is out there in nature, natural law, tradition, all these sorts of things. It's faith and reason working together. These are some of the quotes. These books present magic as both good and evil, which is not true but in fact a clever deception. 
the priest explained in his email. The curses and spells used in the books are actually curses and spells. Wait, wait, let me say that again. I read it wrong. The curses and spells used in the books are actual curses and spells, which when read by a human being was conjuring evil spirits into the presence of the person reading the text. So it's kind of like Ash vs. the Evil Dead. Yeah, you read the Book of the Dead, Mm -hmm. the Necronomicon or whatever it is. But this is not the first time, you know, there's been issues with Harry Potter. Like, there's this whole rage that it's... It's Satanism! Really? It is. There. I've read Harry Potter. I've watched the movies. See, there's the I thing. I didn't see any Satan uh, I don't feel like there. I can really comment on it because I think I've read four pages of Harry <clears throat> Potter. And it's when I was a substitute teacher in Georgia to a third grade class. And I never got on the Harry Potter bandwagon. I wasn't a big like Potterhead by any means. I have a bi- well, something of, close to that. But I wasn't a big Potterhead. <laughs> <laughs> one of my greatest friends in Mobile, she's a huge Harry Potter fan and it's like I'm in this house and and she's got like customized things for all her pets that are But you've seen the movies. No, I've not seen the movies. They're just in passing? No, They're I good. Just, I just pass by like no. Nah. Well, they get a little, like, the early ones are great. They're, like, magical and fun and kid stuff, and the late ones are a little... Gloomy? Yeah. Gloomy's a good word for it. They're a little too intense for my taste. Yeah. Well, in this new series, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, there are not enough beasts! Like, I'm like, Fantastic Beasts? Okay, so this weird-looking dude's gonna go find all sorts of magical beasts and capture them and put them in his, like, bookcase. I enjoyed the first one. I liked the first one, I too. haven't seen the second one. It's, it just gets gloomier and gloomier. Still? Yes. Yeah. It's not, like, it, it's somewhat charming, but it's, I, I just, I'm not a hypercritical person on movies. Like, yeah, I enjoyed myself for two hours. But it, when it's build is like this magical journey where fantastic beasts, where to find them and all this stuff, and now we're talking about the crimes of Grindelwald or whatever his name is. Well, I see, I can't even, I don't even know. I have a feeling, though, that um, if they had just removed the books Mm -hmm. and not released any kind of statement about it, right? I mean, I feel like that's the way to do that. But when you do stuff like that, when you, I'm taking this out and I'm saving the children because mm-hmm. they're not going to be speaking curses upon themselves and stuff like that. That's the that's the the Pharisees or whatever on the street corner praying to be seen and oh look at me, you look pay at how, us twenty dollars yeah. so you can sacrifice this dove in there. Yeah, look at yeah. how great I am. Look at what I'm doing. Look at me. Look at me. I'm gonna save these kids and keep them on the path of righteousness. And I, I the way to the way to have done that would have been. We are no longer going to carry these books, so we're just going to remove them from the library, and we're not going to, you know, we don't have to release a public flipping statement about it. Well, and parents aired their concerns in an anonymous letter. Kind of, you hit the nail on the head. They didn't really, at the end of the day, they're like, it's your decision, like, and who uses the school library when, again, there's this vast world of books out there, very low cost for children to be provided by their parents, but they be came concerned with the priest's quote-unquote fringe views and his ability, quote, to critically assess and discern fact from fiction. Hmm. Maybe he once spoke a Harry Potter spell (laughs) and had a bad experience. It's possible. 
Well, I'm, I'm sure he doesn't want any of the kids watching Marvel movies, certainly not Doctor Strange. Yeah. Because, I mean, you start talking about, like, the, the Infinity Stones and, like, manipulating time, and your kid's mind is just going to be trash. Maybe he was trying to emulate Doctor Strange and ended up with, like, a bunch of hand cramps. And Well, and the irony I find here <laughs> is that if you look at the Harry Potter series, it's kind of the classic savior thing. Like, it's an archetypal, like, savior motif. Like, the the boy who, you know, all of a sudden, when the wizard, the evil wizard tries to kill him, <clears throat> survives. And it messes up the evil wizard's plan. And by sacrificing himself for the good of the world, the world is saved. Who's the evil wizard? Voldemort. Oh, I'm not supposed we to say his name. We don't speak his name. Yeah, I, I already messed up by saying it. Which, by the way, John Brennan, former uh, head of the CIA, looks exactly like Voldemort. That's frightening. Yeah, it is. He's the guy who came up with uh, the Drone Tuesdays. He'd have, like, a slideshow for President Obama. I'm sure Trump's still doing it. Um, but, like, hey, Mr. President, here's all the people we think we can drone. Not with the military, but with the CIA. We're now a paramilitary uh, force. And we think this guy's a bad guy, so let's blow him up with a sky robot. How about that, Mr. President? Of course, President's like, oh, can we blow up more people? Like, can you find me more terrorists? This is, a, this is like, one of the best parts of my job. Like, I get the power. The power. Um, I don't know. I don't know how the president actually feels about it. In fact, I think President Trump has a pretty good... He talks big and tough on these sorts of matters, but I actually find his knee-jerk reaction to death and destruction is actually... He's less ready for war than past presidents or uh, recently. Yeah, I so agree with that. I, I give him that, and I appreciate that, but... It's just interesting what people worry about, like this priest, because he, he goes on, the Harry Potter books he claimed promote a Machiavellian approach to achieving the ends they desire with whatever means are necessary. He also claimed the books glorify acts of divination, of conjuring the dead, of casting spells, among other acts that are an offense to the virtue of religion, and that readers could be persuaded to believe these acts are perfectly fine, even good or spiritually healthy. He concluded, books and other materials which present a possible threat to our faith will not be promoted by our church or school. Which, again, he has every right to think and say, and he's running the school, so fine. Yeah. And it's kind of like the mission of the school and why they have the library is pretty clear. Uh, they decide what's appropriate to guide their sons and daughters to understand the content through the lens of our faith. So fair enough. I went to Catholic school. That's what you want to do? Fine. But, but, it's just a little much. Sir, and it's kind of what the parents said in this anonymous letter. Sir, it's a, it's a novel. It's a work of fiction. Like, I, I can even take my kid to Harry Potter World and Walt Disney, that den of sin. <laughs> and, and oh my god they, they're drinking butter beer they've got their fake their fake slash real wands and they're like Patronus it's like what like really come on man so like he would probably be freaked out by that wand that they actually made that can control your TV yeah <laughs> Like I saw it at one point. It's, it's like pretty cool. you, you make the motions, and you know a circle turns the volume up and yeah. up and down turns it. You know whatever, blah blah blah. I don't know the specifics, but yeah, it's motion. So control. he can't. Yeah. I, like you said, he can't tell the difference between reality and fiction. It's a problem. So if he has and, a, if, is he going to go out into the playground and police 
any kind of make believe that's happening if they're if they're playing any witches or wizards or anything like that is he going to go and tell them no you can't do that like how far son son you're not uh, you're not actually a soldier taking on the krauts right now I know you're in your play world right now, pretending you're a soldier like your great-grandfather in World War II. Mm-hmm. You know, just battling out, shooting those Nazi bastards. Excuse me, I shouldn't speak like that in front of the children. But you're not. You're just a kid. And you're dumb. So, here's our faith. Only read that. Not a good approach. Mm-mm. And I'm saying this as a guy who grew up in Catholic school. And thank God, Montgomery Catholic was never this ridiculous. I went to St. Paul's in Coleman for a couple of years because... We moved there where I, you know, fifth grade. Uh, so I went there for fifth and sixth grade, and that was never, creativity was never stifled like that. I think they had confidence in the education we were receiving to be able to understand. Hmm. Um, and you have to get to that point. Yeah. You have to trust that your teachers and your staff are providing the kind of education and that faith that the children understand and are growing and learning and well and i measure like they're not gonna wave a stick and you're gonna be a huffle puffle puffle or whatever and no matter yeah like we came up with the sorting hat first no it's not a real thing i don't even know what that is it's not a real thing and here's the thing i judge like fiction like how what should i movies television shows books what should we give a child to read for instance i just watched an anime called attack on titan should a 10-year-old watch it? Probably not. I uh, feel like, like I can't be a part of this conversation. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Mm. Why? Oh, you have a child. I, yeah, I do. Do you show your kid? But, but it's up to well, you. It, it is up to me. Yeah. But there are things that I do that I trust that my child knows that I probably wouldn't trust to other children. Okay. No, that makes sense. Um, no, I think you have to number one judge your children by who they are, right? Um, but their maturity level. And for me, it is—it's a l- real thing for you. It's a hypothetical thing for me, right? But for instance, like the show I've been watching, Attack on Titan, is like literal Titan humanoid things eating people, and the way mm-hmm. they present it is. How old is Kira? Thirteen. Okay, yeah, she'd be fine at that point. But if you're yeah. talking about somebody who's nine or eight, I don't know if I want to be showing them certain types of rated R. I mean, I took her to see Good Boys the other day. See, okay. Oh, good. <laughs> Actually, I still need to see that movie. That con- she's thirteen. Hilarious. That conversation came up in the car. Mm-hmm. She asked to go see it, and I was, I was, she no, yeah, she asked to go see it. I didn't know what she was talking about because I'm oblivious to everything, apparently. Um, husband knew, so he pulled up the trailer and he showed me the trailer in front of her, the unedited trailer, and I was just I, could, I couldn't even turn around in the back seat to look at Kira. I was so taken aback, and I slowly handed the phone back to husband, and I said if you will drop me off at home first. Because there's no way, because he was thinking about taking her and her mom had said it was okay if it was okay with him as long as she was with her mom right. or her dad. And that's fine. But there's no way. And I mean, I could even sit, I felt so uncomfortable sitting in the car well, and that's with the, that three-minute trailer playing. There's no way I could have sat in a theater for the whole film. I stayed, I stayed at home. I stayed at home, <laughs> and I watched Gilmore Girls for the upteenth time. See, but this is the thing. It's almost more difficult when it's not your kid, like, specifically. 
and like I don't know. I've had this. I'm like, can I say this around your child? And some parents are like, yeah, of course. Why are you even asking? And others are like really protective. So you just don't know. And it reminds me though. You remind me of my uncles. My uncle, one uncle, Uncle Greg in particular. I, when I was pretty young. It was 99 when the second Austin Powers came out or something like that. Yeah. 98. Mm-hmm. So I'm probably 10, 11, 12, whatever. And I, my mom was already like, I don't know if Joey should go see it. But they also, without her knowledge, took my brother Will with us. He's three years younger than me, so he's like six, seven, eight. <laughs> and they, they say before the movie, Will, we're going to let you see this. He was very mischievous at this time. We're going to let you watch this. Don't say anything to your mother. And we go back home, and the first thing Will does when we get in the driveway and we park next to the other car is he goes up to the corner, like the front headlight of the other car, and starts humping it. And it's like, Minnie Me, stop humping the laser. No, what did we, what did we do? <clears throat> so kids are impressionable. But, and, you know, it's up to each parent at the end of the day. Uh, but sometimes you gotta let kids explore fiction, explore stories, explore narratives, and that's how I think we learn in a large way. It's not just like lectures and facts and no. memorize. It, it opens is up stories. a whole world to you on how to see things from different perspectives, which makes you a bit better member of society. Right. Roll Tide. War Eagle. Uh huh. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <laughs> Very diplomatic of you, Eric. Here, we got to hit a break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Joey Clark Radio Hour. We've got husband and wife, Eric and Emily. Emily and Eric. We'll be right back. Joey Clark. Talking about raising children, you know, it wasn't in general what adults should put in their minds. Actually, I'm less worried about the kids and more worried about uh, people in their 50s and up who are now consuming stuff on social media because they didn't grow up with this fast-paced change and turnover and information. Kids, it's kind of like, oh, that's what's going on, and they get pretty wise to the rhythms of how information flows at them. I worry more about folks. And I'm not just talking generational sniping. Like, if there were studies done where people of different ages were asked to discern what's true and what's real online. And people that were especially 65 and up had a more difficult time of figuring out what's true and what's not mm-hmm. than younger generations. And people also that watch more television, no matter your age, had a tougher time of discerning what's true or not based on people who read their news, for instance. So, I mean, like, I'm not judging people. It's just, 
basic realities we're dealing with here. Yep. One thing I hope that it's going to be, I think, it, our generation, the older millennials, I think we're behooved to pass it on to our children. We are behooved to pass on the brilliance of classic rock. Because it's been talked about, I think, on these airwaves and being talked about all over the place, but rock and roll is dying. Literally, rock and roll legends have died and will die. Like this uh, article came out in the week by Damon Linker, and uh, it's actually got a great point. Number one, rock is dying in the sense it's not dominating the pop charts anymore. No, please. I'm trying to get you started. Look, I'm the, I'm, for those of you who don't know, mm-hmm. I am the music director for 104.9 The Gump. Yes. And I just had this conversation with the buttery one today. Mm. It was like I, I went into his office and I said, I don't know if I just have some huge mental roadblock right now or what it is because I've been filling in for Jay. So I've been back and forth between my office and his and I'm set up to do music in mine. And I went into Rick's office and said, I just, I, I don't understand the chart. And he said, what, what's, what, what do you don't, what don't you understand? It's right there in front of you. And I was like, I don't understand how this is the 20th most streamed, air quotes, alternative track hmm. in Montgomery. And it's a dance record. It's a pop record. Yeah, how did it get classified? It might be the 20th most streamed. Lil Nas X is in the alternative really? streams. Interesting. Yeah, it's really it's it's really frustrating to me because I come from alternative is the screaming trees and the meat puppets mm-hmm. and Dishwalla and and stuff like that. Like the that 90s. Yeah, absolutely. Even including grunge, like Pearl Jam. Yeah, that's what I would say it started. Yeah. That's where alternative rock started. So I'm I'm in that alternative mindset. And even then, I consider like new wave stuff to be alternative Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. Um, So I understand the the dance aspects of some of these records that are getting an alternative flag. Rock and roll can make you dance, but there's a certain sound. But when the labels are pushing and pushing and pushing a record as an alternative record mm-hmm. and this is a flipping pop record this is a top 40 record it gets really frustrating because top 40 this is how the wise one the buttery one explained it to me today he's like you got to understand you know top 40 is gone more urban than pop oh of course so that opens up an area in alternative to showcase some of those what would be considered the more rock pop records. But then when that happens, you get this, I'm not going to say it on the air, but you get this one record where it's just like, my mind is blown. And (laughs) I don't know. And that's what I told him. I said, I, I see this on paper as the 20th most streamed song. But does not compute. And it does. I can't get it to work through my brain. This right. isn't the Mighty Mighty Boston's. This isn't 311. This isn't the new album from Cake. Like, this is my 90s brain right. thinking. But I've, ex- you know, I don't want to say I've accepted, but I know that that early 2000s stuff, what is called emo, but your Fallout Boy, your Panic at the Disco, your stuff like that, 
I mean, that's got a place. Strokes, wide strides. Yeah, well, yeah. all that stuff has a place in alternative, but there's just some stuff to me that stands out as, this is not an alternative record. Don't touch it. No, it's a dance pop record. But it's not. Well, and there can be. It's not Radio Emily. Oh, no. It's the gump, and it's what right. the people want, and we give the people what they want. Well, and in general, I think this is a theme. Technology is changing everything. There's yeah. a realignment, and it's not just music, it's politics, it's every industry you can imagine, the book industry, movie industry, television, everything's changing very swiftly. Do you know who I talk to a lot about music director, air quote, hardships? Because it's not hard. It's not hard. I'm not complaining by any right. means. I love, Pretty love, fun gig, actually. <laughs> love my job. You want me to listen to three records and tell you which one I think we should add? Okay. <laughs> Sure. You know, like, I I love being music director, but the person that I can talk to the most about any kind of frustration is Rich Thomas, because he was a music director right. in his early career, and Rich Thomas is a huge alternative rock fan. He will come in here in the morning and be like, uh, hey, did you hear that, that track from... Uh, from Abso Facto, it's mm-hmm. called Dissolve. What do you think about that? And and he he wants to know what records we add, and he listens to the Gump, and he talks about it. And that's one thing that we talked about was how when he was a music director, he had to call the record stores, and you know how many did you sell this week? How right, many, what uh, do you got? Uh, what album? Like, what were your top ten selling albums? What were your top fifteen selling albums? And how who outsold who? And that's how. They got their information. Well, Where now for us, it's streams. Yeah, and, it, and what's being—it's interesting that it's being pushed down to you, and so it makes you wonder: Is this actually what's been most streamed on Spotify or whatever, uh, or iTunes or Title or whatever? I know Title, for instance, which I use because of Prince, uh, most of his stuff's there. Um, it, there was a big controversy on the numbers, streaming numbers being fudged. Yeah. So they didn't have to pay certain artists as much. So I, I wonder sometimes, is this truly, like you look at the Hot 100 right now, like the Billboard Hot 100, is this the same type of Hot 100 that, does it work in the same way as when the Hot 100 was out, the tops of the charts in the late 60s, 70s? Probably not. No, and I don't want to say our fail-safe I, I don't know what the right word is for it, though, but we don't go off of one chart. We go right. off a composite right. uh, that's, that is is Rick but, has put together. But so. I don't think there's some big conspiracy afoot. I think it's just a fact that a lot of the action, a lot of the creativity, like what's hip and cool, mm-hmm. is not in rock. I think rock has done this thing that it was around for so long, for several decades, and was dominant for several decades. Like any art that's goes around for a while and gets churned through society and people's minds, it becomes not just a, the new cool thing where it's like, you know, the roots of punk music and early like British rock music and then what went on in the 80s with pop kind of merging with you know all sorts of different genres. It's, it becomes a historic artifact too. So people can study what is rock music and then re- try to recreate it. Mm-hmm. It's this backward looking thing. Whereas with, and this is happening to a degree with hip hop, with other genres, it's still a new thing that you're doing that people haven't necessarily heard before. Now, there is this point that it's oversaturated um, in the sense everybody sounds the same because you're going to the same producers that are working with the same big companies yeah. and they push out all the same stuff. But I think there are new artists in whatever genre. And even in the rock scene, there's new stuff in alternative rock that people are being creative. It's just not the mainstream thing being pushed. There are creative people in like metal. I mean, I think that's where a lot of 
really creative minds in rock went to that heavier stuff because there's still new ground to uncover there where you aren't going to necessarily sound a derivative of another band. Um, but, I mean, the, also the fact is is that a lot of these legends are dying or will be dead before too long. I mean, we've already lost this list compiled from this article in the week. Brian Jones. Well, Jimi Hendrix was pretty young and a long time ago. Janis Joplin, Morrison, Elvis Presley, John Lennon. They died decades ago at a too, way too young age. And then there's legends by illness or drugs that are too recent, like George Harrison, Ray Charles, Michael Jackson, Lou Reed, David Bowie, Glenn Fry, Prince, Leonard Cohen, Tom Petty. And he's like, okay, all these are tough. I mean, it was real tough. I, I don't like to talk about it too much, but like when Prince died, that was like a shot in the heart. And I had people I hadn't talked to in years like texting me, are you okay? Like, yeah, at, at the time, my mom had just passed a few months ago, so I kind of felt dumb feeling bad about Prince dying when I've actually gone through the death of probably the most important person in my life. So it was a little, but I, that was affected. It's like, this guy's an inspiration. And this is the point made in this article that for me, it's Prince. For you, it might be Mick Jagger. He's what now? 76. Carol King is 77. Art Garfunkel, 77. Paul Simon, which you mentioned earlier, 77. Bob Dylan, 78. McCartney, Paul McCartney, 77. Joni Mitchell, 75. And that's amazing to me. Joni Mitchell was one of Prince's big influences. And she's still alive. He died at 57. She's still going strong mm-hmm. at 75. Jimmy Page is 75. Robert Plant is 71. Roger Daltrey, Pete Townsend, Roger Waters, all in their 70s. David Gilmore in his 70s. Rod Stewart in his 70s. Clapton. Debbie Harry, Neil Young, Van Morrison, Elton John, Don Henley, all these folks, these huge names, mm-hmm. they're all in their 70s. And some might live to a ripe old age, get in their 90s, even to the hundreds, get into the triple digits. But there does need to become, I think, and it will actually, in my mind, birth new creativity. Well, if you kind of accept this, that guard is going to go away, we got to pass on what they did. We also got to create new stuff, not just look back at what rock was. So who follows them? Like, I was really torn up when Chris Cornell died. Right. And he's another you know, one. And I feel like that's more of a modern era um, person that would be, I guess, included on this list because it's all these people that have passed or are near passing. But Chris Cornell going, um, I feel like with Scott Weiland, it was something people mm. were just... It was sad and shocking, but then it was kind of like he's just struggled with it for so long that, I don't know, that one was hard for my sister. But who, what's the next generation? Because all of those folks, that that classic rock stuff mm-hmm. you started with, with uh, Jimi Hendrix and all that, that whole era is romanticized so much. Right, and this is part of why I don't think we have as much new stuff. This is, you know, this is what I hear from from people I work with every day about how the 60s into the early 70s, the best, greatest time for music, the summer of 69. Let's be clear. I don't think that's just nostalgia on their part. I think there's a case to be made that the 60s in particular. But there's a time in the 80s, when you look at the mid-80s, 84, 85, 86. Amazing diversity. Amazing music was being made. Yeah. I think it comes in cycles. That's the human brain, though. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that's what happens with the human brain, because those are the good old days. Oh, yeah, and that's and, generally how people think. And that's that's what happens, is the human brain remembers the good stuff, and they don't remember the bad stuff. 
Yeah. Well, so, and and let's be honest, rock music was always a popular form of art. Right. It's a pop art. So it it's not like we we go back to the stuff sometimes you do like oh the playing on this track. No, it's usually like I remember I remember when I was 20 years old and I first heard Hotel California. Like, I mean, and I remember the first time I heard Hotel California. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, you can still rediscover, like, all sorts of stuff. (laughs) That's just the ego suck, Jerry. (laughs) I have it on good authority. I called your... She's a music director, you know. (laughs) Um, And she says, the Eagles do not rule Rich. Uh, Rich Thomas, if that's... I hear you're adorable, but your your taste of music just wrong. Um, (laughs) No, but you can... That's the thing, though. I think there will be certain artists that will stand the test of time and keep inspiring people. Because kids, when they hear stuff... Like, when I first heard Whole Lot of Love by Zeppelin, it's the track at this point for me has been played out. I can't imagine for somebody in their 60s how many times they've heard Whole Lot of Love. But when I first heard it, I'm like... This is a revelation. And what's really cool, too, is it's not... They weren't. They were obviously derivative of the blues, and they got sued accordingly by a lot of people who actually wrote those songs early on. But there's something about the style they presented, and that's what I think people are losing, is that rock isn't this paint-by-number thing, oh, it used to be done in history. It's what do you feel? What's emotional? How are you going to grab a young person's imagination and kind of shake them about, this is what we can do. And right now... People want to have a good time. They want to dance. They want to have a good time. And also the companies realize they can push, I think, urban, hip-hop, R&B stuff a little bit easier. And the pop music, that's where it's gone. It's the drum machine. It's the sampling. It's that sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what happens with everything in life. It's, it's your time to shine, and then you're going to fade out, and something else is going to come along, and... Well, and, yeah, for, and you'll come back at some point. And but. I remember when I was a kid, there's like, oh, hip-hop's just a fad. Rock's forever. Now it's like, well, rock's kind of fading, and hip-hop and urban is dominant. I'm like, no. Watch out. It could go to more electronic music. It could go back to more, like, vintage, really playing instruments. Who knows what the next trend will be? Because it will be the youth that decide it. People much younger than us. Mm-hmm. People not even born. And I'm kind of excited to see that. What do young people who have that rebellious streak choose as their anthems choose as the things that give them a little bit of meaning and purpose in life they should be careful in what they choose now sometimes you can get gripped by a certain type of music and it becomes destiny so be careful about <laughs> how sad the stuff you listen to is or whatever but if that you know resonates with you if it's cathartic it's one thing but look at this we're out of time what happened well we got talking about music and this always happens don't give me it's yes a thing i could take the whole hour